Revelation 21, please. Revelation 21. Next week, well, depending on how well I do on finishing this week, but uh, next week will more than likely be our last in this series. And uh, now we come to really an amazing and astounding unbelievable, if you want to think about it that way, description of the new Jerusalem. Once Satan is bound and, and that era is removed, uh, John said he saw a new Jerusalem coming down. It's mentioned in chapter 21, verse 2, and also in verse 10. But there's going to be a very unique, and it's not really specified, but best I can understand, the new heaven and the earth, new earth are going to be co-inhabited by believers. These are not brand new creations as when God spoke the world into existence in Genesis 1 and 2, but they're going to be like our, our new body. God gave it new characteristics and removed other characteristics. That's what the new heaven and the new earth are going to be like. One theologian put it this way, the actual splendor of heaven far exceeds anything that we have yet experienced. So I'm going to read beginning in verse 9 because that sort of allows us to know who's speaking and read down a bit through uh, chapter 21 of the book of the Revelation. It says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come up hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high and had 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east, three gates, and on the north, three gates, and on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the, high, and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, 140 and four cubits, according to the measure of man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper. And the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth chrysopolis, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it was were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And this city had no need of the sun, 
neither of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God did lighten it and the lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall no wise enter in, uh, there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. What an amazing thing. As you read it, it's almost beyond our ability. In fact, it is beyond our ability to truly imagine what it's about. So let's look at it very quickly. First of all, I want you to think of the majesty of the city. It says that the glory of God, the light, the radiance, the brilliance, of God's holy character dominates this city. Verse 11, having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious. This light is compared to that of a perfect crystal reflecting the fullness of the spectrum of light. So this heavenly light will reveal the fullness of God's perfections. God's glory dwelt in the tabernacle and also in the temple. And it was so overwhelming, they could not enter in when the glory filled the tabernacle. And God's glory will fill this new heavenly Jerusalem. And for all eternity, for all eternity, his glory will be seen in his holy city and will be the only light the city needs. Now I'm going to turn back. You can jot down the reference. Isaiah 60, verses 1 and 2. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings in the brightness of thy rising. Down in verse 19, it goes on, Isaiah 60, 19, the sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light and thy God, thy glory. So uh, the prophet Isaiah recorded prophetically what this is going to be like and here we see the majesty of the city. Ezekiel chapter 48, 35 says it was round about 18,000 measures and the name of, that, of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. Why is the city majestic? Not because of what God remakes it to be, but because God himself is there. So the majesty of the city. Secondly, I want you to see the walls of that city. Verses 12 through 14 describe these walls and they picture for us our security in Christ. The 12 gates in the walls, an angel at each gate, the names of the tribes inscribed in them. So each side of this city, four square, has three gates. 
And the wall has 12 foundations with the names of the 12 apostles. And even in eternity, God is distinguished. Uh, God has distinguished his people, Israel, and his church, though both are part of this redeemed uh, children of God that have gathered together in heaven. The angels, God's messengers, are stationed at the gates. And this is just a picture of the strength and the security of this eternal city. The gates and the walls are high. Its foundation is strong and it's grounded in truth. So the walls of the city are amazing. I, I, because I like math, the dimensions of the city. Some, as I mentioned last week, think it's in the shape of a pyramid. I personally think it's in the shape of a cube because the Holy of Holies in both the tabernacle and temple were cubes by dimension. But just what are the dimensions the Bible says? It says it's 12,000 furlongs every direction. So 12,000 furlongs would be about 2,400 kilometers, 2,424 kilometers, if you want to be a little more precise, every direction. Hard to imagine a city of that size. Uh, the one man used the city of London to make a comparison. So uh, if you were to take London, England, and place it in this city, you'd have, uh, oh man, didn't I put it in there? 3,623 London, England's found within that city. It's so huge to give you some mental uh, 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 dimensions. It would be the Canadian border to Mexico, the Atlantic Ocean to the Rocky Mountains. That's roughly the footprint. But it's also that same dimension going up in the air. Now, one guy suggested that if it was in stories, and each story was 13 feet, there's room for 660,000 stories. So, you know, you can run crazy with the numbers, but uh, the, the guy that I was using for this said, that means that there would be room for 20 billion residents with each resident having his own private 75-acre cube. So for those of you who want to move away from the crowd, wait till you get to heaven. There you go. The wall is 144 cubits tall or 216 feet. It's just amazing dimensions, all right? Oh, I, I put some of it in here. I'm sorry. There you go. 12,000 furlongs, 1,500 miles, 2,400 14 kilometers, and the wall is 216 feet high. But let's look at the building materials. The wall is made of jasper. It's usually considered a quartz-like appearance, like a pale green. The city is of pure gold, like clear glass, like crystal. And so the glory of God is able to reflect and shine through all of that. In the Bible, gold is a symbol of deity. 
Remember all the gold furniture and gold-covered uh, elements? Uh, the the uh, Harry and Peggy just got back, and I, I think they went to the uh, temple, um, oh, what's it called, where they're recreating all, all the elements of a new temple, which would be a fascinating world war uh, if that happens. But uh, they, they're remaking all of the you know, the Ark of the Covenant and the golden candlestick and all of that, but it's all of pure gold. And verse 19 says that the foundations of the wall are garnished. The word has the idea of being adorned or decorated with these precious stones. Now, because, uh, you know, uh, we, we cannot exactly know what these stones are, this is our best guess uh, what they each are. Jasper is that sort of translucent greenish quartz. A sapphire is blue. Chalcedony they think is a greenish blue. An emerald of course is a dark green. Sardonyx is like our onyx. It's white streaked with brown or red. Sardis is a red stone. Chrysolite is yellow quartz similar to the topaz sort of translucent. The beryl is green. Topaz is a greenish yellow stone. Chrysopolis, uh, we're not certain. Some think it has more of an apple green color. Others have a, uh, think it's a golden color. A jacinth is probably blue, but some, because it's not, we're not certain, think it's yellow. Uh, and an amethyst is a deep, uh, rich purple. But the gates are of a singular pearl. You know, I bought pearls when I was in China. None in that pearl market were anywhere big enough to be a gate for the city. And the street is of pure, transparent gold. The point is this. God is not impressed by man's wealth. And God is just showing that he is greater than all. And the magnificence and the beauty of this city is beyond anything man could even try to emulate. And it certainly is beyond what we can comprehend. But then he talks about the distinctiveness of the city. He gets into what will not be there, beginning in verse 22. So the city is not only known for what it is made of, what will be there. But then there's a passage here, verses 22 down through 27, that talks about specifically things that you will not find in the New Jerusalem. For example, verse 22, there's no temple because God and the Lamb of God are present. You know, we'll, we'll always be with them. We don't have to go to worship them. That will be our constant practice. Verse 23, no need of the sun or moon. It doesn't say that there will be no, need, no sun or moon. It says there's no need of them. The glory of God and the Lamb of God are the light of the city. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. It dawned on me today, there will be no created light, but there will be the uncreated light, Jesus himself. Verse 25, the gates will never be shut. In, in world history, at uh, first century, they would, they would close the gates 
uh, for the protection and security of the people. But that doesn't need to happen. There will be no gate. The gates will never be shut. And then notice verse 27. Nothing that defileth, nothing that worketh abomination, nothing that maketh a lie. There'll be no sin there. What a wonderful description. The distinctiveness of the city. And then lastly, the delights of the city. Look at chapter 25, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was, was there the tree of life, which bare 12 manners of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servant shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. No need, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. The river of life, which flows from the throne of God, the source of purity, I think it's symbolizing for us the abundance of the spiritual life and the spiritual blessing of God for all the ages of eternity. Then the tree of life, verse 2. The last time the tree of life was mentioned is back in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned and partook of it. Now we see it again uh, bearing its fruit in every season and uh, how uh, paradise is restored now that man's sin has been dealt with for all eternity. Verse uh, 2 talks about the leaves of that tree for the healing of the nations. Well, it's not healing of any disease because there is no disease. There is no infirmity. So it's, it, it, I, I believe it's talking about the healing of factionalism and tribalism. We will once again be one people, pre-Tower of Babel, unified in our worship of the one true God. Verse 3, no more curse. Goes back to Genesis 3 when the curse was laid on man because of Satan's deception. But now the curse of sin is removed forever. Verse 3, as his servants will serve him forever. What are we going to do? I don't know. But we're going to be joyful in doing whatever he wants us to do for all eternity. There won't be any hindrance. Labor will not be a burden. The curse is removed, so it's not the sweat of the brow kind of labor. It is joyful because of who we're serving and the identification and full fellowship with God when it talks about his name shall be in their foreheads. There's, there, there's no, no hiding the fact that we're a child of God and no night there. You know, sometimes when you're going through a difficult time or a time of loss or time of uncertainty, night is your hardest time. Like you can't hardly wait for the morning. The other night I couldn't sleep. I woke up at 2.30. And uh, I laid there for an hour. Finally, I said, there's enough of that. So I went downstairs. I finished my book on the Johnstown flood. That was real encouraging and calming. 
you know. So I finished that. Then I read some. And it was about 4.45. And I finally went back to sleep in my easy chair. You know, that, that's a miserable two hours. When, you, when you're in the middle of the night and you can't sleep. It's just, it's frustrating. When there's no reason. But that'll never happen in heaven. Number one, we won't need to rest. Number two, there's no more darkness. The theologian A.T. Pearson put it this way. There shall be no more curse because there's a perfect restoration. The throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, a perfect administration. His servants shall serve him, perfect subordination. And they shall see his face, perfect transformation. And his name shall be on their foreheads, perfect identification. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord giveth them light, perfect illumination. And they shall reign forever and ever, perfect exaltation. The new Jerusalem. One day, we will be able to rejoice in this new city God made for our eternal abode where we will gather together with people of every tribe and people and language and worship God for all eternity. But for now, we're to be busy. We're to, we're to be focused on that city, not the here and now. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in Colossians chapter 3, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Keep this in mind. Everything on this world is temporal. It'll be gone in a moment of time. But heaven is where we're to lay up our treasure, where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves do not break through nor steal. I'm looking for that city. Are you? Looking forward to that day. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We're thankful for how you reveal such wonderful truth to us. Lord, we admit it's beyond our ability really to understand. It's beyond our ability to visualize. But by faith, we're living this life trying to please you so that we can enter that city with joy and worship and serve you forever. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to keep our priorities right, our value system right. Be focused as you want us to be focused on that which is most important and to look forward to that day when we'll see you face to face. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for their desire to know the word of God. Thank you for the privilege of teaching and preaching. Lord, I pray that you'd use your truth in our lives this week.